Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, but we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. It's comics. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. It's exactly the same as it ever was. No, I was just seeing if it picked up me blowing my nose. You don't have to be scared of it. It's just a new it's, microphone. It's very big and That's all it is. You don't do change, do you? I'm sure I'll get used to it. <laughs> you know what this is like? This is like when we first started. And you've got all timid and, and, and quiet. And you've, it's, oh, that's all it is. I mean, yes, it's a giant phallic-shaped knob in front of our faces. It's even... I mean, let's just analyse it for a second. Okay. So it's got a thick black shaft. Yes, it does indeed. And then it's got a, a curved, shiny head. <laughs> it has got a curved, shiny head. <laughs> and that is quite intimidating. <laughs> I had never looked at it in quite those terms. <laughs> I mean, it, it concerns me that I did. It, it <laughs> concerns me that, that you did as well. Shall we begin the show? I think we should. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the first ever Hey Kids comics to be recorded on a proper microphone. Mm-hmm. Every, other t- every other episode, everything that you have ever heard of this show was recorded on Olympus Digital Recorder, was it not? It was. And now, thanks to the Patreon supporters of Fantasticast, I'll bow down before them, we're not worthy, I've got proper podcasting equipment. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Stephen! After five years, we're now backed by a budget. We are. Well, you say a budget. (laughs) This is where where all the budget went, yeah. So cheers to Stephen Lewis, you bought me all of this lovely shiny equipment that you're now looking at with trepidation and despair, mm. because change is something that happens to other people. It is. You have to embrace change. It's the future, Jerry, I've seen it. I don't have to embrace it, I can just say and say nasty things on the internet about it and <laughs> hope that it goes away. <laughs> is that the general philosophy yeah, of people? Yeah, it oh, works right. for other people, it can work for me. Alright, fair enough. Should we tell the lovely listener what we're, we're, we're talking about tonight? If they yeah. haven't looked at the picture Which, with the pithy title yeah. that I've done. Yeah. Why, what is the pithy title? I don't know. We've not recorded the episode yet. Okay, I always okay. take the pithy title from the, the conversation. Right, I see. And I normally only pick the pithy title when I edit it. Right. But now that this is recorded straight into Audacity, I may not have to edit. How right. awesome is that going to be? Yeah. I think that would be brilliant. Such a time saver. You're very excited about I'm very, that. very excited. Do you know I didn't want to unpack it all the other night? Mine. I wanted to just leave it up because it looks shiny. Oh, okay. Anyway, Throne of Atlantis is tonight's, mm-hmm. uh, which is a new 52 storyline. It is. We're going to give some love to the new 52. Mm-hmm. Just in time for it to go away. <laughs> we were always finger on the pulse, weren't we? Yes. We were always <laughs> right there at the vanguard of what the kids are talking about. Well, when a movie comes out, we are. <laughs> Mostly. We are. I mean, we've still not talked about Civil War. Mm. For the most part. We've already covered that. And we've already covered Civil War, the exactly. comic. So, kind of gone now. Yeah. Maybe when it comes out on Blu-ray. 
we'll talk about it then, possibly. Anyway, yeah, okay, so we've got a spanky new microphone. We're uh, in the same old headquarters that we were always in, so nothing exciting about that. But we're covering spanky new comics. I say new. About three years old. About three years old. I say new 52. <laughs> Been swept under the carpet. The, the old 52. Hey, don't let it be said we are not down with the children. Which is different to being down on the children. Yeah. Which is something that is not encouraged. <laughs> and thankfully, we are not 70s television presenters and thus have done nothing wrong. Now then, now then. Now <laughs> we cover some emails. Let's cover some emails. <laughs> Excellent segue, my friend. I'm very, very proud of that segue. Our first email tonight is from Nathaniel Wayne, uh, who says, Captain America, white power. <laughs> Oh, is that where the controversy came That's from? That's where the... Com- oh, right, the word power was missing off our copy of the book. Typo. That explains so much. <laughs> There's us thinking, oh, storm in a teacup. Big old, big old lightning striking a thimble. Yeah. And then it turns out, all along, our copy had a misprint on it. Blimey, who'd have thought it? Nathaniel says, hey there, Leylands. Hello there, Nathaniel. Another fine episode with your look at Captain America Master Race. <laughs> I think you're getting that confused with something else. Having not actually read the thing, I can't add too much to the discussion. I've been too busy reading my collection of 90s era comics for 90s comics retrial on the Council of Geeks podcast. There's a conveniently inserted plug for your comfort and ease. Not that kind of plug. So I'll move off the topic of Captain America racial purity and instead latch onto a bit of your reply to my last year. I can't finish that sentence. There again! That subtitle wasn't on our copy! It, it wasn't, it wasn't. So this much. This sound like, you know, the slogan for The Art of the Deal Volume 2. <laughs> Is this a trilogy of philosophical blockbusters? <laughs> Following up from the email last time, Captain America, I'm not a racist. Yeah. Captain America, white power. And the three quote Captain America, racial purity. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine Marvel getting into any trouble if they published a series with those titles. Uh, Nathaniel continues, you said you haven't seen Batman Bad Blood yet, and for your own sake, I hope you still haven't. Well, I've not. Have you? I've not. No, okay. To be fair, I haven't either. It's currently sitting on my desk from Netflix waiting to be suffered through. However, I'm fairly confident in my belief that it will be utter crap, because every DC animated movie in the new continuing continuity based on the new 52 has been awful. As of this writing, I reviewed all of them for the Council of Geeks YouTube channel, except for Bad Blood, and that will probably have happened by the time you read this on air. Wow, ain't I presumptive. Anyway, DC animation used to be the high mark of comic book adaptations before the Marvel Cinematic Universe really got going with Avengers. And to be fair, even the new stuff isn't part of the continuity and continuity, such as Gods and Monsters and Assault and Arkham, are pretty great. So basically, I'd recommend seeing every animated DC film except the ones that are based on the new 52. For the record, that's Justice League War, Son of Batman, Justice League, Throne of Atlantis, Batman vs. Robin, Batman Bad Blood, and Justice League vs. Teen Titans. Do you know of all of them, I did not know they'd done Justice League vs. Teen Titans. That yeah, mustn't have yeah. got a release over here. The only one of them that I have seen, uh, I've seen Justice League War and Justice League Throne of Atlantis. And both of them I thought were not gratuitously violent, but more violent than they needed to be for the sake of being violent. All right. Do you know what I mean? Trying to keep up with the yeah, live action Yeah, trying movies. too hard to be edgy. Yeah. 
and and they kind of turned me off, which is a shame, really, because Throne of Atlantis I was expecting good things from, mm. given the, the comic book source material, as we will discuss later on. Uh, wait, wait. Oh, also, Superman Unbound, you can skip that bollocks too. The rest are all at least worth a look, if not deserving to be praised over most live-action comic book films. My own favourite stand as New Frontier, Gods and Monsters, and Wonder Woman. Keep up the great work, Nathaniel Wayne. I've, of those, I've only seen New Frontier. Yes. I've not seen Gods and Monsters. Mm. Have you seen Gods and Monsters? No. I don't uh, really watch the animated ones. Well, Wonder Woman, I've heard Wonder Woman get good reviews. Mm. And, you know, Fillion's in it. Right. So... That's always a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But uh, I've not actually seen them, so I cannot pass any comment. But thank you, Nathaniel, for the recommendation. I think, well, I think I'll give Wonder Woman a go. I think I'll watch that one and see what I think of it. Our next email is from a new emailer. Where's your drum roll? <laughs> Did you see the cat's first, then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is Thomas Althoff, who has emailed in. Hello, Andy and Michael. I can't really say long-time listener, as I only discovered this podcast around the time you put up the final episode. But in that time, I've picked through the episodes that interest me. So by that, he means all of them. Right. And also listened to a few I didn't think I would like that led me to some comics I never would have tried. Was just listening to the Bonfire Night episode and quite enjoyed it. <laughs> quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I love qualified phrases like that. They, I should collect them. Quite enjoyable. <laughs> put them on the... Uh... The t-shirt. Two stars. <laughs> you know, we're all right. We're not great. Well, you know, you've got an hour doing nothing. Yeah, get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to check out that Hellblazer story. Just happened that I listened to it right after reading a comic that talks a bit about Bonfire Night in passing. I was a bit surprised you two did not mention it, given the titles you seem to like. Sandman issue 75... Features Shakespeare and Ben Johnson coming across some boys setting up a bonfire. And the two men create the well-known Remember, Remember rhyme so that the story will live on. Because that is essentially the crux of most of Gaiman's work. The nature of life and story. And I have absolutely no excuse for that. We should have thought about Sandman 75, shouldn't we? Should have. Completely went over my head. I think I forgot. As did I. We were looking for stories with Bonfire Night in and I was searching the internet and the most obvious one completely skimmed past us. Mm -hmm. Never let it be said that we are professional because we are in no way professional. Well, we can pretend to be now with this microphone. We can pretend. The microphone makes us look semi-professional. It's just a shame it's an audio medium. Yes. But uh, take our word for it, lovely listener. We now look professional. (laughs) We do. Should we do one of those live Facebook things? What's one of them? Uh, there's these videos on Facebook right. you can just film yourself and it's live All right. people who follow you should we do that mm. Two True Freaks now has a YouTube channel does it so we can actually film this right okay and, and we could just put a camera over there <laughs> film both of us and it would make for absolutely riveting viewing it really me would me and you just sat here <laughs> looking at comics and now we will cover this issue we're doing a handstand on the, on the plus side we could actually hold the cover up to the, the camera like I'm right. doing now to the microphone <laughs> And people would actually be able to, to see what we were talking about. And when we're talking about panels, we could actually hold it up. That's true. Exactly like I'm doing now. Yeah. As if we are filming this. But we're not. But we're not. 
So it's kind of pointless, isn't it? It's, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Thomas continues. After years of thinking that Kevin Smith was all there was to podcasting, I decided to expand my horizons. Being a lifelong Spider-Man fan, I came across amazing Spider-Man classics and the crawl space, which led me to Michael Bailey. I enjoyed Bailey's appearances on Spidey stuff, so I decided to listen to some of his views from the long box in hopes of finding some new interests. I believe this is where I found you. Michael Bailey is Crossroads. Mm. You know, in Supernatural, right. where they go to the crossroads yeah, yeah. and there's always stuff happening. Mm. That's Michael Bailey. Without him, <laughs> Two True Freaks doesn't have anywhere near the number of listeners it has. Okay. Without him, Shag Matthews doesn't have a career. <laughs> and without him, Thomas would never have found our show. He's the centre of the podcast he is, first. He's, you know, he always says it always comes back to Superman, but that's, I think it, in real life it always comes back to Mike. <laughs> it's him pulling the strings. Yeah. Michael is Michael's Blofeld. Michael's ruling Spectre from behind the scenes, stroking his dogs. Some say he is Demanza. <laughs> oh, like Thomas Magnum with uh, Jonathan Higgins yeah. as Robin Masters. Michael Bailey is Demanza. Yeah. Oh, that just suddenly makes so much sense. Oh, do you know? I think you've hit on it. Yeah. I'm gonna have to pool. That is that is a final podcast plot twist. It is. Wow, that's actually... And when you put it all together... Yeah? It fits! <laughs> Mind blown! Once the secret gets out, they'll shut our podcast down. Michael Bailey is... Demanza? It would explain why we never got paid. <laughs> uh, Thomas continues... I have always been more of a Marvel Spider-Man fan who, as an adult, has begun taking vacations in the realms of DC Vertigo, more recent image. Also a fan of Buffy, TV and some comics, Firefly, Star Trek stuff. I love the dynamic between you and Michael, as I have a daughter, six years old, and hope to one day share comics with her in the way you do. I love how you two switch seamlessly from taking the piss out of an issue into critical analysis. I followed a handful of blogs, podcasts, forums that seem to do one or the other, but few can switch as seamlessly as you guys do. Oh, thank you for that, Thomas. Mm-hmm. That's quite a complimentary. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm made up with that. As a full-time dad with a full-time job, the time I have to myself, I want to be an escape that still keeps my brain engaged. I don't want mindless entertainment, but I also do not need everything to be a college-level critique or just trashing stuff you don't enjoy. You cover stuff you really seem to enjoy in Hey Kids and Palace, and it shows. I look forward to also giving your DS9 show a try, as I really enjoyed that show. Hope you are well, and I look forward to more episodes of anything you do. Now that I've come out of the silence, perhaps I will write to you more. Thomas Roanoke, Virginia. Is that Roanoke? Is that have I pronounced that right? I think so. Okay. Well, thank you, Thomas. Please, yeah, come out of the silence more. Talk to us more, because that's the whole point of doing the show, and it's been one of the best things about doing the show, as meeting uh, new people like yourself. And he has a PS. As a Spidey fan, I've really enjoyed your look at the lead Ditko omnibus of Spider-Man. I keep going back to it myself, and used your coverage as an excuse to take a break from the early 80s Spider-Man and revisit Peter's beginnings. Well, I'm just going to say that that helps me plug... The Palace of Glittering Delights, where I've just covered every single Lee Ditko Spider-Man comic. Uh, and it's in seven parts. It's available on twotruefreaks.com, and you can go and check it out, because it's awesome, if I do say so myself. Okay. It's one of the best things I've ever done on my own. <laughs> That's a good qualifier, That's, isn't it? Yeah, so that yeah. completely gets rid of this. Anything <laughs> I do with Stephen, anything I do with Mike Bell, in fact, anything I've done with anybody else, like Paul and Bell, all of that stuff's off on its own. Yep, yep. That's the best thing I've done on my own. It was a good way out of it, that, I it thought. Was, it was, yeah. saves a lot of hassle. <laughs> Doesn't upset anybody. I think that's pretty good. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not about upsetting people. I'm all about keeping people happy. That's me. Our next email is from Damien Lee, which just opens with, Woo-hoo! which is good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You both made my month. 
After genuinely missing Haykins his last summer, compounded, compounded sorry, by emigrating at the same time as you wrapped up, I listened wistfully to the Lakes episode and tried to move on. Earlier tonight, I idly popped by your TTF page in my bookmarks and you're back. I feel like someone just announced the renewal of Firefly and Dollhouse. Thank you both for making the time. Plus, I just reread all of Infinite Crisis, so your episodes will be timely. My favourite podcast lives on, Damien. Well, thank you very much, Damien. It's always nice to hear from Damien generally. And uh, <laughs> you'll have to mention, uh, email back again and tell us how the emigration went. Because mm-hmm. uh, I do remember Damien mentioning that the last time he emailed in. He was in the process of emigrating. So, okay. do you remember that? I, I, do you remember I, I, doing I do, these shows? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember doing anything? Yes. Do you remember recording anything? I've slept. <laughs> I, I, I do when I see them pop on Facebook. Like, oh yeah, we did that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, because it's not weekly now. Yeah, and I'll tag you in it. And you'll go, bloody hell, we recorded that months ago, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Put your finger out with the editing chores. Slacking off. I am. That's as it currently stands. We've got two episodes we've not released yet. Have they been edited yet? Uh, one of them has. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it, lovely listener. Oh, sure, sure. Life gets in the way, man. Star Wars Murky Artwork is the title of our next email. It's from Gene Hendricks, Andy and Michael. I remember seeing Dark Empire when it came out. I was and am a huge fan of Star Wars and loved the Marvel run, so seeing Star Wars come back into comic book form was thrilling to me. I don't remember whether I read Dark Empire or heard of the Empire first, but I was very happy to get new Star Wars stories. Speaking of which, I didn't mind the overall story of Dark Empire with the then-do-but-now-tired trope of defeating the Dark Side from within. This was a darker take on the series, with the Empire either coming back or having not fully fallen after Endor, but when you're going to the seedier side of the universe, I guess that's to be expected. Something I didn't like was the massive info dumps that you mentioned at the end of the issue. Really, if you didn't read those, a lot of the story didn't make sense. Kind of like The Force Awakens or 2001, as I wrote about on The Hammer Strikes, where you have to read a book to understand what's happening in the movie. If I need to read these text pieces at the back to know what's going on, then the writer's failed in his job. Then there's the awkward way that this kind of doesn't fit into the chronology. Timothy's arm was asked to make this work within the Thrawn trilogy and he refused, so that just put the story on the outside before the main part of the EU even started. See, I didn't think you did have to read the text pieces, but you did, didn't you? You told me that I did. I liked them. I'll be honest. I I thought they were okay. I mean, I get your point. But my my thinking with that is they are actually part of the comic. So it's not like going watching a film and then having to read a book to make the film make sense or to make the film better. The text pieces were in the back of that comic that you've just paid for. So to me, it was supplementary, complementary material that was all in there for you to read and enjoy. I guess, but you know what we were talking about the other day about the new Batman Rebirth and there's the Duke Thomas in it and yeah. we had that conversation about whose responsibility is it to know the background yeah, of the character. Yeah, because I didn't know who Duke Thomas was. Imagine reading Batman Rebirth okay. and you don't know who Duke Thomas is and then you get to the back and there's an essay about his, his life and if background. If that essay is in the same comic that I've paid money for... I would not be bothered. If that essay was a supplementary comic that I was expected to pay another one ninety nine, £2.30 or £2.80, thanks Brexit, for, <laughs> then I would be miffed about that. Yes, but it shouldn't be in the essay. It should be within the story. And with Dark Empire, it wasn't. Not necessarily, because that's, that's essentially what your story so far things are about. Now, my argument with the Batman Rebirth thing, and we'll cover this when we do a Rebirth show, which is currently in the process of being written. So it might come out next year. Yeah. But <laughs> my problem with it was, within the story, they didn't tell me who Duke Thomas was, or Thomas Duke. I still don't know, because they didn't actually introduce him in the comic. 
I think that's two separate but similar things. Mm. My argument is that this wasn't a supplementary piece of material that you had to pay extra money for to understand the main story. My argument with that is that it was all part of what you'd paid for. It cost you nothing more yeah. to read those text pieces. They're in the comic that you've paid for. Yeah, but so I think this analogy is slightly incorrect. But again, as a writer, have they not failed if the information has to be slapped onto the back of the comic? But was it slapped on or was it always Tom Veach's plan to have these intricate text pieces at the back of each issue. That's a very poor plan as a writer. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah, seen... As a comic writer, and as opposed to a novel writer, mm. so as a novel writer, then footnotes, fine, whatever, but as a comic writer, that's not very good writing. But do you not think that had he incorporated all of that backstory into the comic, the comic would have just got bogged down with exposition? And by doing it as two completely separate pieces, the text pieces complemented the main story, in a way that gave you a richer meal that wouldn't necessarily have been there had the text story text pieces not been there. Ultimately, this is my argument. The information was in the comic that you've paid for. Yeah. You weren't paying for something extra. But it wasn't in the story. No, but it was in the issue. I think we're both just, just having to agree to disagree on this yeah, one. Yeah. Because I think... I get your point, and I don't disagree with your point... Because this is something we've rallied against before. Yeah. That all the information you require to enjoy that story isn't in the story. So mm. in that that instance, you and Jean and I are on exactly the same page. Yeah. We're totally in agreement that not all of the information that Dark Empire needed to fully function as a story was in the story. So mm. all three of us are of fully agreement that <laughs> were you and Jean are taking off the path to the left and I'm taking off the path to the right, okay. is that... I didn't have to pay extra mm. for the story to make sense by reading something separate because that something separate was in that comic. Yeah. Do you get my point? Yes. Because for me, it all comes down to I don't want to have to pay <laughs> something else to understand this story. I didn't. It was all there. So we're all mates and we're all chums okay. uh, and I've just nipped off down this left-hand path and you've both gone down the right-hand path but the path converges again at the other end. Right, so I've okay. just nipped off for a pee. <laughs> so I've not I've, the path diverged in the woods okay. I took the road less travelled I had a piss but then we all joined back up right. and we all sang um, we're off to see the wizard and held hands and everything was good again okay, right, so right. we're all chums okay. but I've just gone a different way to you I, I, I do quite like how liking the text pieces is the equivalent of taking a piss <laughs> Maybe it falls a bit, a bit apart, though. But I ulti that's ultimately my point. Right. I didn't have to pay extra for those text pieces. Mm. Do you get me? Yes, I get you. Okay. You don't agree with it. No, I, I but do. you get me. I do agree with it, but it's like watching a film and then there's credits and then there's an extra 40 minutes <laughs> of deleted scenes. Again, if I've not paid extra for those 40 minutes of deleted scenes, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. But yeah, if those 40 minutes of deleted scenes make your film make more sense, maybe that 40 minutes should have been in the film in the first place. I see what you're doing there. Mm. <laughs> Subtext. It's a lovely thing. Mm. Shall we continue with Jean's email? Jean continues. Now, on to the artwork. I thought the covers were all right, if a bit too photo referenced, but I've never been able to stand the interior art. I'm okay with stylized stuff, but this is going a little too far with the monochromatic approach and too much cross-hatching. Yeah, I know. Welcome to the 90s. At best, I muddled through it to read the story simply because I didn't have anything else. 
Once Dark Horse started producing the Tales of the Jedi series, though, I very rarely went back to reread this series. Besides, yellow-eyed Luke isn't menacing or creepy. He just looks like he's got some kind of illness. He did look a bit jaundiced, mm. didn't he? I'm glad you guys liked it better on reread, and I found your theory about working this into The Force Awakens interesting. I think I'll be skipping reading this again, though. If I was in a Star Wars in comic book form mood, I'll just go back to the original Marvel series. Love the show, Steve Gene Hendricks. Host of the Hammer Podcasts, the Quantum Cast, Anime Freaks, and he has a Patreon page, patreon.com, uh, the Hammer Strikes, and he does great blogs. Just today he wrote a Nightwing blog okay. uh, about Scott McDaniel's Nightwing, mm. which I'm always a big fan of because I think Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel's Nightwing is the tits. I believe okay. is what the kids say. The tits. The tits. Is that not a thing? I, I don't think I've ever said the tits. <laughs> I've heard that phrase. Okay. I've, I've heard that. Anyway, uh, final email is Chris Franklin. Thought we were going to get an email section without Chris. It was, that would have upset me. It would have. Uh, Dark Chocolate Empire. <laughs> Very good. I like that. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Great to have you fellas back, even if the absence was longer for you than it was for us. Like many things you've covered from the 90s, I read Dark Empire in trade during my comic shop clerk days back in college or university, as you chaps might say. I remember liking it, but I wasn't too keen on Luke getting that close to the dark side. I hope it's something the next two movies stay away from, for the most part. I want to see some amount of temptation, but he got in a bit too deep for my tastes here. Undermines Luke's character too much. Of course, they're going to have to come up with a damn good reason that Luke abandoned everyone and everything he held dear, or he's going to look like a real D-bag anyhow. I was laughing out loud over your discussion of the collected works of Emperor Palpatine, considering I was listening at work, not exactly an ideal situation, but nevertheless, I wonder if old Palpatine recorded an audio version of his books. Oh! How awesome would that be? <laughs> if he did them himself. Yeah, if he recorded them himself and didn't pay some B-grade actor to do it. Oh, man, that'd be brilliant. Bog finish audio dramas. <laughs> Books on tape. Or would that be book on hologram? Imagine riding to work in your Imperial shuttle and listening to your boss recite his own pontifications in that voice. <laughs> oh, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> the Emperor self-help guru. The mind boggles. Great episode, Chris. The Tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise and Other Short Stories. <laughs> By Senator Palpatine. <laughs> How to succeed in politics without really trying. <laughs> the art of the, the dark side of the deal. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> anyway, enough. Enough of this frivolity. Uh, we will end, uh, not the show, of this section of the show as I, as I recover from um, from Chris, um, making me chuckle. Uh, and we'll do a commercial break for Sunday's show and then we'll be right back with Throne of Atlantis, which is here. None of this digital filth for this show. Mm -hmm. Maybe next time's show, but not this show. everybody i'm chad bogelman you may know me from the green lantern podcast the lantern cast you also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project i've been working on an action comics weekly podcast to be precise well it's time to deliver on that promise the action comics weekly podcast is a bi-weekly podcast 
featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted, <laughs> Star Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's, that's not my DC Comics. That's not superheroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story, this story is, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery, as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this, this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like, you know, the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well, it's it's a kind of a waffly Dead Man story. It wants to be a Dead Man story. It starts to be a Dead Man story. It forgets it's a Dead Man story, and then it comes back to being one, um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton, as we discuss Blackhawk that there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm -hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that, tapping into that fertile story. And Michael Bailey, as we discuss Superman. There is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. And many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details. to be talking about the new 52 now as it rides off into the sunset all but considered a flop it's worth remembering that not everything was terrible all-star western was critically lauded as was swamp thing and animal man batman consistently sold over 100,000 copies every month for the duration of its run making it not only a best-selling dc title but one of the most consistent comics across the board but one book was touted as the vanguard of the new 52 one book had a fan favourite, read high-selling, creative team. One book was heralded at the launch parties, the Justice League. When the New 52 was launched, Justice League was the closest thing to a sure bet DC had. Written by Jeff Johns, who by that point could do no wrong, with art by Jim Lee, arguably the biggest comic superstar in the world today, it was difficult to see how this book could fail. It was a surprise, therefore, that the series, which started with a six-part arc, naturally, didn't light the world on fire straight out of the gate. The first storyline featured Darkseid as the big bad, and as everybody's favourite members of the League, plus Cyborg, do battle with him. It was... underwhelming. The Justice League seemed to hate each other. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan in this instance, was portrayed as a bigger ass than Guy Gardner ever was. Superman was a bit up himself. 
This was the Justice League through a Stan Lee filter. They bickered, argued, mocked each other, and generally didn't seem to like spending time with each other. That's fine for the X-Men, but I think people expected more from the Justice League. Over the next few issues, we learned that the Justice League had a PR guy, Steve Trevor, who would make the world think the JL were good friends, when in fact they barely tolerated each other. A situation that, when brought to light, nearly destroyed the League. Developments came thick and fast and didn't really feel earned. Jumping from the first meeting of the League to five years later, in between arcs, really didn't help matters. And the often character-based dramas Johns likes to write seemed at odds with Lee's desire to draw a two-page splash every other page. Fortunately, the grind of working on a regular monthly soon took its toll, and Lee dropped the book with issue 12. This issue was a many-hands production, as Lee once again failed to meet his deadlines. Two of those hands belonged to Ivan Rice. Rice soon took over as the regular artist. And then, something happened. Aided by Rice's excellent art, the Justice League started to pick up immeasurably, and it happened with the story we're going to cover today, Throne of Atlantis. Throne of Atlantis was the first crossover of the New 52 era and didn't start in Justice League, rather over in Aquaman. Now, with all due deference to Rob Kelly and our friends over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you could chop Aquaman up and sell him as chum, and I really wouldn't care. It's not that I thought Aquaman was a joke, it's that I didn't think about him at all. There was one ruler of Atlantis, as far as I was concerned, and it wasn't the bland blonde or Patrick Duffy. It was Namor. Namor was imperious, arrogant, touchy, and just plain fun. He was one of the few comics characters that was a dick and proud of it. What little I knew of Aquaman, which, granted, wasn't a lot, made it clear he was none of these things. He was, if anything, boring. Since the New 52, though, DC had scored a hit with Aquaman, again written by Johns, and boasting superlative art by Reese. This was an Aquaman I could get behind. He was battle-weary, scarred from years of being treated as a joke, and seemed quite worn down by life. He was torn between two worlds, but felt at home in neither. He was the man who would be king, yet for whom the kingly crown weighed heavy. Aquaman was suddenly relatable. His book started off strong with an interesting arc focusing on re-establishing Aquaman as somebody to be respected, and then reintroduced his arch-adversary Black Manta. Against all odds, by the time of Throne of Atlantis, Aquaman had become my favourite member of this new Justice League. It's sad to report, therefore, that the story doesn't get off to a great start in Aquaman 14, which is the prelude to the arc Throne of Atlantis. But before we get on with that, hmm. what did you think of Justice League under Johns and Lee? Under Lee as well? Mm. Very poor. Uh, Lee's art was poor, plus Johns didn't know what he wanted to do with the title. Was it more a case of Johns wanting to do something with the title but changing what he wanted to do with it to accommodate his artist, do you think? It could have been. Once you, If you ignore the first six issues, it's it's a solid title. It picks up. Yeah, yeah it picks up. It's, that's I think that's the point that I was trying to make, though. Those first six issues just seem separate. Yes. And going from the formation of the League to five years later was too big of a time jump. Because mm. then you're suddenly like, well, why why have the relationships not changed? It's like Jeff Johns could write the Justice League, mm. but couldn't put, write a story with them all getting together. Yeah, it was... It but was... Justice League as a title represents everything wrong and everything right with the New 52. Go on. It came out a month before the other titles. It was the DC flagship title. Mm. It was the the two biggest names, mm. and yet was plagued by delays, mm. plagued by 
your uh, multi-issue six, maybe six-issue story arcs that crossed over into other yeah bigger storylines. And it's it, by the time every other title was at fifty-two, mm. it was still at fifty. Mm. It, it just it represented everything wrong with modern comics, and yet was still a solid and consistent title once Lee was off the book. That's what, I haven't considered that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, Justice League. The new Fifty Two version is the new Fifty Two in microcosm. Yeah, oh, very good. Mm. I hadn't considered that. Excellent. No, well done. I, I like that. Um, the cover to Throne of Atlantis Prelude, which, as we've said, happened in Aquaman issue fourteen, is um, is that an Ivan Rice cover? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Mm. It's uh, who is that? It's, it's Ocean Master. Yeah, Orm. Uh, just pausing with his trident. Which sounds like you're, you're trying to think of what to say. Orm. Um. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that in this issue. Um, it's written by Jeff Johns, as I've uh, as I've said before. The art in this one was by Pete Woods and Per Perez, uh, and then the inks were Marlo Alquiza, Ray Jose, Sean Parsons, Per Perez, and Cam Smith, implying that this was running late mm. when that many people were working on it. Uh, in a nutshell, we learn that Aquaman's great-grandmother and grandfather were killed back in 1820, murdered by suspicious and intolerant Earth dwellers. Today, Aquaman requires a meet with his brother Orm and current king of Atlantis. Aquaman wishes to know why Black Manta was hired by an Atlantean to steal some artefacts from Atlantis that have ended upon the surface world. The king says maybe whoever stole these artefacts, especially the Sacred Scepter, that's a big hint, only wanted... Aquaman to think the thieves were Atlantia. In Bell Reef Prison, Black Manta knocks back Amanda Waller's invite to join the Suicide Squad. And that's pretty much it. It is. Uh, one of th- that's, and I think that this goes back to what you're saying, another symptom of the New 52. There is not a lot that actually happens within the individual issues. Mm. I mean, this is all very definitely stuff that was written for a trade paperback. The problem with that is... If people are paying for a trade paperback, are they not expecting a, a bigger, fuller story? Yeah. Rather than a, a a prelude to what's coming next, which is what each one of them seems to be. Mm. Okay. Well, I get this kind of benefited, though, with it being the same writer. Yeah. As a crossover, this worked exceptionally well because Jeff Jones was writing both parts. Yeah. But again, this is something, like you just mentioned, you couldn't just be reading Justice League. No, or you, Aquaman. Or Aquaman. If you were reading only one of these titles, yeah. this story, which is a, a major event in the Aquaman story arc, because mm. after this, he's king of Atlantis. Yes. So as you go forward from this story reading Aquaman, he's now taking the king of Atlantis role. Mm. And the, But this story doesn't make sense on its own if you're only reading Aquaman. It's also very Justice League heavy, in that all the important mm. events happen in the Justice League title. But this again goes back to what we were discussing in the letters page. This, to me, is what you were talking about. I have so to in this buy... story, Aquaman yeah. is the, the title. Is the text page the at the back. back yeah. Yeah. I have to read Justice League... For this story to make sense. Well, the flip side of that, you have to read Aquaman for Justice League. Yeah, but Aquaman's only a $2.99 book, whereas Justice League's a $3.99 book. Justice League's double-sized. And you get the Shazam. And you get the Shazam. Well, some issues are just just double-sized. Some issues you get the Shazam back up. But yeah, yeah. The point is taken, but still I have to buy another title for this to make sense. It just benefited that these were two titles you were buying. Yeah, and both written by Johns. Yeah. So the crossover works quite seamlessly. Um, Again, this is something that we always complain about, or I always complain about. Aquaman's brother, Orm, is never mentioned by name. 
Is it not? Not that I could remember. You mean by just... supervillain name? Would Aquaman refer to him as his supervillain name? No, because... It'd be kind of like me and Adam saying, oh, hey, Mysterion, oh, hey, the coon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, it's, it's not... <laughs> That's a South Park gag. <laughs> just in case I have to explain that. Yeah, the point is we wouldn't refer to each other as superhero names. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to know which one of you is which. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, yeah, um, alright, okay. I get it, alright, yeah. fair enough. Uh, Pete Woods and Per Perez are a huge letdown art-wise, though. They are After Ivan Rice. Boring. Yeah, I, that, yeah, that's it. It's functional. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay. It's, it's without being too insulting, it's kind of like colouring book art. Yeah, it, it's it's disappointing sandwiched in between Ivan Rice and Paul Pelletier. Yeah, because Ivan Rice was on Aquaman. Until this issue. Yeah. This is when he moves over to Justice League. Over, yeah. And Paul Pelletier takes over with the next issue. Mm. Which is, I wonder why this had yeah. a shed load of Incas. <laughs> because it was a last minute, or oh, Ivan Reese suddenly realises he can't do two books this month. Or, oh, by the way, Justice League's double-sized. But Ivan Reese is one of, if not the most competent yeah. and capable Yeah, I'm, I'm not is. saying that he isn't, but the fact that this one had... Like many many Incas, yeah, kind of implies that at the last minute it was rushed through mm. to get it out on time, which I approve of, because you can't have Throne of Atlantis starting and then have Throne of Atlantis prelude. But surely they would have known in advance. That you'd, you'd have thought so. Reese was yeah, yeah, but that's what it felt like. I anyway. mean, the man has time to to draw a four page Snickers advert. He does have time to draw a four-page Snickers advert. We probably got paid a lot of money for that. Because Snickers will have paid him for it. Yeah. So we look up, here's a Snickers! <laughs> um, I mean, it's not that this is a bad issue. It, if you're reading Aquaman, this is a nice breather between story arcs and before you kick off into Throne of Atlantis. Yeah, but one of the best things about the early Aquaman stories is that it wasn't just a six-issue arc. No. There was one issue about Aquaman on yeah. the beach, another one about Mera going shopping. Yeah, well, that was after this. Yeah. Mera, was, Mera going shopping this. was before this. Yeah. The beach one's after this, isn't it? No. Is it before this? Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was a really good one. Yeah. This entire 25-issue run of Aquaman I've just read, and it's so all really good. Jeff Johns was betraying every opinion people had on him on Aquaman. Mm. But then you get to this issue... And, and nobody got their arm ripped off. Yeah. In Aquaman. Uh, yeah. But then you get to this issue, and it's just nothing happens. I would argue this is setting up Throne of Atlantis. Without this issue, Throne of Atlantis doesn't work Black as well. Black Manta's not in Throne of Atlantis. No, well, this is the Jeff Johns thing that we're going to talk about later on as well. He doesn't. He never lives in the moment. Mm. He's always seeding the next thing. Yeah. Like, he's a kid with ADHD or ADHD or whatever it's yeah. called, who's terminally afraid that once you reach the end of his six, part six of six, you're going to drop his books. Mm. And now, part of that is his own fault. He keeps writing six-issue arcs for convenient packaging in the trade paperback. Yeah. But he's he's so intent on keeping you around for the next arc that he keeps seeding the next arc in this story. Mm. And that if I have a complaint about Justice League generally, it's that all I mean, I've not read the Dark Side War yet. Right. And I'm rereading it all and I'm up to I'm just reaching Trinity War. So there's an entire like 10 to 15 issues at the back end I've not even read yet because mm. I decided to read the whole thing. But it's at no point does he concentrate on this story. 
Well, I felt like with Justice League that works because once you get to the end of it, it's one big story. Mm. It's a full circle, beginning, end. Type. Is it? Yeah. Right, see, I've not read Dark Side War yet. So, mm. all right, so that is essentially a 52 issue arc. Yeah, but. Or 51 or whatever to, it to ends up. To back being. you up, the, his last comic that he's going to write for the foreseeable future, the DC. Universe. Rebirth. Yeah. Is the exact same thing. It doesn't have an end. It's seeding the next. Thing. No, it's it's that's but my he's big, not gonna write. That's my big complaint about Jeff Jones. Again, let's go back to Aquaman. I read twenty five issues of Aquaman. Thoroughly enjoyed them. Yeah, read them all quite quickly in quick succession. I nicked all of yours. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed them because I'd never read most of them before. Yeah, I get to issue twenty five. Mm-hmm. Lovely ending. Big two page splash. Lovely ending. That's okay. where credits would roll. Right. And then you turn the page, and there's two more pages there. Mm. And it's a prologue for a next story. That's the still King of the, the Seven Seas. Yeah. And I was like, what? 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 Wait, what? Mm. What? <laughs> and so I texted you, Kingdom of the Seven Seas, is this a thing? Mm. And you got back to me and said, I don't think so. Yeah. And so it should have been, apparently, in Justice League. And now it was announced in November of 2015 Ivan Rice was going to draw it. Mm-hmm. And now, apparently. Dan Abnett is going to write it in the new Rebirth Aquaman story. Right, okay. So now Jeff Johns isn't writing it, Ivan Rice isn't drawing it, and it's going to happen in Aquaman Rebirth. Well, the thing with that is, it's your problem isn't with it seeding up the next thing, it's the next thing never happened. Yeah. And so, like, so War of the Seven Kingdoms, or whatever it's called, has that put all of Aquaman's other stuff on the back foot because that never happened? That's that. Or is, is Dan Abnett going to be allowed to build up to it? Because again, let's well, let's not talk about rebirth. But I, I was very disappointed in that because, to me, like we're saying here, it's everything that Jeff Johns does at the minute. Yeah, and I, I know somebody's going to haul me over the coals over this, probably Stephen. But that kind of coloured, and Stephen's right. Let's be honest, he is right. If you chop those last two pages off, mm. his twenty-five issue run of Aquaman, it's a beautiful twenty-five issue arc. Yeah. But it has those last two pages, doesn't it? Mm. Now, I don't know if they're in the trade. I don't know whether they'll cut them off for the trade to make it make more sense as just a single story arc. Because yeah. I think if you're buying... This goes back to the trade paperback discussion. If you're buying a trade paperback or six trade paperbacks, mm. which is what you'd end up buying for 25 issues or four trade paperbacks, depending on how they were split yeah, up, yeah, yeah. you get to the end of those six trade paperbacks and you don't get an ending. Mm. Well, I'd be annoyed. Yeah, but the problem that isn't with it seeding the next thing, the problem is the next thing never happened. Never happened. And I mean, that's, apparently that's it is going to happen. Yeah, well, but still. Let's be honest, it's something else that they're saying is that. I, I think Dan Abnett will follow through on that. Mm. I think he. I think there's very much. He did say Jeff Johns is working with him to do it. Right. But working with him to do it could be a case of Jeff Johns saying, right, here's what I was going to write. Take what you want, change what you want. I'll be over here writing Supergirl on TV. Yeah. If, here's my phone number if you need me. Or it could be, here's all my scripts which are already written. Mm-hmm. You just cross out some lines that don't fit anymore. So you don't know where or where that's up to. Because if Ivan Rice was going to draw it, and it was mentioned in November 2015 as definitely happening, had Ivan Rice started drawing it? Mm. And are they now scrapping all of that? Now, I can't believe that's true. Because if Ivan Rice had started drawing it, I think DC would have put some preview pages up. Or it would have been done by now. As yeah. you were saying, Rice, Reese is very competent. Is it Reese? I, I, I think so. Rice Reese. And he has the time to do a, a four-page Snickers advert. Yeah, well, so... and he's not doing a current book, is he? No. Right. All right, so it probably would have happened then. So the blame probably lies with Jeff Johns, who is very busy, to be fair. 
Yes. And he's probably just not written the script. All right, fair enough. Anyway, what did you think of Fisher 14 of Aquaman? Nothing happened, in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Throne of Atlantis proper began in Justice League issue 15. The cover claims that this is a bold new era, but I don't really see how that is. The only real difference between this and earlier issues is the addition of Ivan Rice as the main artist, or Reese swapping over from Aquaman. Well, he'd been brilliant. Mm. Don't get well, us wrong. This is when the Justice League expands, isn't it? In yes. The ranks up. So yeah. it could be that, I guess. So it could be that that's the bold new era. Yeah. It's not really from this issue, though, is it? No. When you slap a bold new era slab across mm. the title of a team book, that normally means the team is changing. It normally means, like, Avengers assemble, new roll call, everyone's left, new team members have come in. Yeah. Well, um, I guess it is, because before this Green Lantern's just left, yes, Aquaman will leave. Yes, Aquaman goes off to be king of Atlantis. And we'll get more people in it. Yeah. Including, uh, including Shazam, who's all right. on this cover, but he's not Shazam yet. So in the overall scheme of the Justice League 52 issue arc, mm. this could be considered a bold new era. I guess. But just this one new, comment. New artist as well. But, was that a new art? Oh, well, nowadays, Marvel would have relaunched this with the number one, wouldn't they? That's true. <laughs> this wouldn't have been issue 15. Ivy Rice has come on as artist. New number one. <laughs> Cheers, Axel Alonso. So, all right, fair enough. Uh, the cover is the heroes pulling their painted movie poster pose. And it's really rather excellent because it's Ivan Rice. Even though Shazam's not in the issue. Well, he's in the backup strip by he's... Gary Frank and, and Jeff that, Johns. Does that count? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks good. <laughs> if you'd tip him out yeah, yeah. The, the, there would have been a big white bit there mm. and that wouldn't have been as impressive would it that's true what did you think of the Shazam backup uh, I enjoyed it I'm gonna I'm We're gonna... Re- reading it all together yeah because it's very kind of it's a bit disjointed yeah and it's not it. in every issue no that yeah so that was a big problem but as in a, as in a whole thing it was good yeah as, as reading it now as I'm rereading the whole thing I'm, I'm gonna get lynched by long time DC and Captain Marvel fans mm. By even calling him Shazam. <laughs> but, yeah. and it, it, It's actually quite good when you read it back to back. Yeah. into Justice League yeah. very well. And Gary Frank's art's pretty good. Yeah. There's none of the dead fish eyes mm-hmm. that he sometimes has going for him. And I, I, do you think... I've discussed this before on the show. To me, growing up, Captain Marvel was the guy Superman fought right. every time they met each other. And that yeah. was it. Captain Marvel comics didn't exist when right. I was a kid. And he, on the cover of those DC Comics Presents, he's called Shazam. Yeah. He's not called Captain Marvel. Well, because... Marvel, for obvious yeah. reasons. So I can... You know, I get long-time fans were a bit annoyed about that. Hmm. But on the flip side of that, I can fully understand DC changing the name. They don't want to release a film called Captain Marvel. Yeah. If they were even allowed to do so, which I bet that they're not, because Marvel have a Captain Marvel. Yeah. So... I can understand why DC has made that change. And because Captain Marvel slash Shazam means absolutely nothing to me, mm. maybe that's why I enjoyed this Gary Frank, Jeff Johns thing. Well, it felt like Jeff Johns has always been really good with his character beats. Mm. So it kind of felt like a, a breath of fresh air or like a cool down. Yeah. To just have the your big Justice League and then your small Shazam story. And, and as well, having Billy Batson be a problem child is a story arc. Yeah. If you start off with him being pure of nature and heart and good, mm. you, I can understand why, as a writer, that would mean you've got nowhere to it's, take it's him. It's a bit boring as well. Yeah. So You started at the end. Yeah. But here, you can see the story art that he's telling, and it's a valid story. Yeah. It's, you know, so 
I know there are some long-term DC fans who are probably burning us in effigy now, <laughs> but I actually quite enjoyed that and had Gary Frank and Jeff Johns done a Shazam title, I'd have probably read it. Yep. But this is it, isn't it? He mm. does this, he goes over to Justice League. Shazam Earth 1. Yeah. Is he doing Shazam? Is there a Shazam Earth 1? No, I was. All oh, right, I thought for a minute you were, you were saying there was one. Oh, okay. Throne of Atlantis was written by Jeff Johns with art by Ivan Rice and inking by Joe Prado. There's other inkers join, join along the way. To try and get this book fixed. As we've been doing of late, the entire synopsis is going to come your way, coming in your ears, in one fell swoop. Feedback on this would be appreciated, lovely listener. Is this working? Is it not working? Let me know. When a devastating missile attack all but destroys Atlantis, the king of the undersea realm, Orm, attacks the surface world. At the same time, the scepter of the king has been stolen. Orm is brother to Arthur Curry. I really want to call him Arthur Kid Curry, <laughs> a.k.a. Aquaman, and along with the Justice League, Aquaman tries to assist as the first attacks flood cities like Gotham. Aquaman feels he is to blame for all of this, as he created the Articles of War that describe what to do in the case of an attack by the surface world. Articles Orm is following to the letter. With Aquaman in discussion with Batman as how best to proceed, Superman and Wonder Woman find an Atlantean named Vulko who demands to see Arthur. Elsewhere, Cyborg tracks down the human scientist who is a leading authority on Atlantis, Dr. Stephen Shin. Shin was ostracised from the scientific community for his theories about Atlantis, which were believed to be poppycock, but have now been validated. Superman calls Aquaman about Vulko, who is the closest Arthur has to a family. Together, Vulko and Shin start work, and Aquaman is given one chance to talk Orm around. He fails. Orm launches all-out war, meaning the Justice League is too busy when Vulko savagely beats on Dr. Shin, blaming him for the surface world turning Aquaman into a joke. Vulko has the scepter, and Vulko launched the missiles that started the war. The trench, piranha-like killer fish, have attacked, but don't seem to favour any side. As the Justice League attempt to keep the peace and stop the Atlanteans, Aquaman and Orm fight. Aquaman says he never wanted the crown because to be a good leader, one needs to be alone. But he will take the crown if it will keep the peace. He orders Orm to yield. With Aquaman King, Vulko surrenders and both the Justice League and the Atlanteans fight off the trench together. With the fight over, Aquaman asks how Vulko could have betrayed him. Vulko replies that it's because he loves Arthur and Atlantis that he did what he did. Vulko is taken back to Atlantis for trial, but Orm is imprisoned at Belle Reve, as once he yielded, he gave up his right to diplomatic immunity. He will answer for the many deaths in a human court of law. Aquaman returns to Atlantis to rule, leaving Mira behind. The surface world is left wondering if he can be trusted, and when, not if, Atlantis will attack again. All right, um, Ivan Rice's art, beautifully coloured as well Yeah, in these comic books. <clears throat> Ivan Rice's art is an immediate step up from Jim Lee. Mm. No no argument? No, no. Jim Lee fan. Even though I don't think Ivan Rice has ever been as good as he was on Blackest Night. Do you know? It was the heavy blacks that did it. You think? It was really good. See, I've loved him on Aquaman. Well, on this, yeah, he's, he's bright and colourful. See, I think the thing with Aquaman is there isn't anywhere you can go under the ocean that isn't cool. Yeah, and if you put Aquaman in that, so he's got you've got all the heavy blacks. Mm. If you're very very deep under the water, like you just said, but there's always color because yeah. there's lots of different fish and Atlantis and everything like that. Well, that's for color more than yeah, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So the color makes the blacks pop. 
yeah. in Aquaman, and I think that's what I was liking about it. Mm. I, I was really enjoying that because I think that's something that the Aquaman movie can, if it pulls it off, just the sheer beauty of being underwater. Something tells me that in the the world, something tells me that we're not going to get that. Yeah, is that what you think? Yeah, mm. something like that. Everything will look like it's taking place in an oil spill. <laughs> Oh, damn BP again. <laughs> um, I, I would argue, I think this is more pleasing to the eye. I think he's got a better grasp of anatomy than Jim Lee. Yeah. I actually think he's better at storytelling. It, it's, it's more, with Reese, it looks more like a character title and not an action title. Yes. And that's what... Jeff Johns wants to write. Yeah, it's it's a, a character drama mm. with fight scenes. Yes. Yeah, and and see page three though. If we had a camera, I would hold that panel up. Yeah. That panel though, the color of of them riding those whatever underwater beasts they are above the Atlantean. What's it? Above mm. Atlantis. Just yeah, the depth of field on that. Yeah, and the color on it, and the art, the art and the color. The, the, there's no denying it's computerized coloring, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. This isn't one of those situations either where I think the coloring is carrying the art. The coloring mm. is enhancing the art. Yeah, but the art is all there. But there's no... That's a gorgeous panel. Mm. I would not have complained if that was a two-page spread. But Ivan Rice doesn't do two-page spreads for the sake of showing off how splashy his art is. when he does it... Well, I've got that note later on. When Rice does two-page splashes and there's an issue, issue three or four, it's a two-page spread and a one-page splash. Right, yeah. But something is happening hmm. on every part of that page. Yeah. We'll mention it again when we get to that's, it. That's why they get into the posters yeah. now. Because it's not, look how flashy my art is. Hmm. And it's not, um, what's his name who did Extremis? Something is happening all over that two-pager. Yeah. And it's brilliant. I absolutely love the artwork. And uh, if this guy isn't a superstar, he should be. But I think he's yeah. in the process of becoming one, isn't he? Because mm. he, he's absolutely Which, brilliant. again, if he can pull that off and keep it monthly, there's no way he's not done that yeah. other Aquaman thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he did have a break from Justice League after Throne of Atlantis, didn't he? Yeah. But fair play to him, all six issues just came out. Mm-hmm. And they came out on time. And I don't remember Aquaman having delays when he was on it. Well, there was one issue that was just Joe Prado. Right. <laughs> but that's if they've solicited that, mm. that's fair enough. If that's not a laugh-minute change. The opening, I especially love the opening of it, with us starting right with the mid-Atlantic and we're close to a school of fish and then we just pull back. And they're swimming away. And they're swimming away. And then we're on the surface next and there's an aircraft and that's, carrier. And that doesn't mean anything until mm. later on. Until much later on. Mm. So he is structuring his story for the long game. Yeah. Which, again, you know, there's nothing actually wrong. And I, what I like about that as well is that opening page is basically transitioning us nicely from Aquaman to this title. Yeah. I like that. So that works on, on two levels. It's mm. the start of this story, which makes sense, as you say, when you get through it. But it's also saying, right, we're carrying on from Aquaman. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. There's a lovely curveball when Superman and Wonder Woman go on a date which is a bit later on, and uh, the sat in a restaurant, and she totally doesn't buy the glasses disguise. Mm. And then she sat in the diner with him, or in the restaurant with him, Metropolis Seafood and Grill. Is that where... No, it's in Metropolis, that, isn't it? Because Aquaman has a favourite beachside restaurant that he keeps going to, doesn't he? Yeah. But it's not that one, is it? Because no. that's in Metropolis. Anyway. I, I do like how they're eating a, like a, a fish food place. Yes. Very subtle. I like that this, this actually works! Mm. That she's put her hair up and put the glasses on and nobody's paying a bit of attention to them. And he's 
putting out the reason that secret identities matter. Yeah. Downtime. You can't be at work all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, this is a lovely little scene. Yeah. And damned if Wonder Woman doesn't look like Gal Gadot. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. And would she would she have been cast at this point? I don't I think Batman vs. Superman's been in development for a very long time. Well, this was 2013. Probably was. So yeah. it's possible she'd been cast at that point because it would have it would have had to film in 2014 to come out in 2015. Mm. Wouldn't it? So it's it, it's it 16. All right, so it? she may not have been there. So she may but not it have did been. Did have cast. a lot of scenes, reshoots, post-production. Mm, possibly. But she does look like yeah, Gal Gadot, doesn't she? So that's that's really nice. I like the bit with the the policeman and Aquaman. Yes. One of the best things about Aquaman was everyone at DC knew he was a joke, but they 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 played it seriously. Yeah, they lent into that. Yeah, that, that he was a joke and he talked to fish. You know, they took him seriously. Mm. And see, the the first his first story arc in Aquaman was about that. Yeah. And about him, does it bother him that he's not taken seriously? And he likes to pretend that it doesn't, but it did. Mm. It annoyed him a bit. It adds a nice bit of character, though. Yeah. It, he's not all serious and poncer. He's not a complete joke. It's acknowledging that uh, how he's perceived <clears> and then who he is. Yeah, but, and how he's perceived does kind of bug him a bit. Yeah. But that's that's why he became my favourite member of the League from what Johns did on Aquaman, mm-hmm. which is a remarkable turnaround. Yeah. Let's give him credit for that. I couldn't give a toss about Aquaman. Mm-hmm. But by making him just a guy, he made him appealing. Yeah. He made him interesting. He's just a guy, but he's a guy who's a king. Mm. So how does that relate to him? And he's a guy who's a king, but doesn't get any love in his own land. And yeah. he doesn't get any love on the surface world. So where does he belong? Mm. And that's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Now, that may have been part of his character before Jeff Johns got a hold of him. I don't know. Mm. But it made him an appealing character in his own right in this book which I thought was, was very interesting. Uh, there's some excellent juggling of the plots as well. The trench aliens were from Aquaman. Yeah. You remember, they were in the first story out, weren't yes. they? The Piranha-like They were doing quite well in that, but in this I felt they were just there. Yeah, I think you'll see from the synopsis, oh yeah, the trench piranhas show up. Yeah. And reading this again for the show, I was like, well, why exactly did they show up? Other than to give the Atlanteans and the humans Something to fight a common foe. Yeah. To well, fight at in, the end. in the first issue, they were good because they were new, they were interesting, they were scary, they were unknown. Yeah. But in this, they're just there. Yeah. The punching bags. Yeah. They're just there for, to, for us to join forces with at the end, mm. really. That's all I know. Mira is a really cool character. More mm. so in Aquaman than in this. Yeah. But like when she's in the, the supermarket just trying to buy some food and that yeah, guy yeah. tries to manhandle her and she just snaps his arm. And the police say, you can't do that. And she said, I gave him two warnings. <laughs> And he would not let me go. Mm. And you're like, oh, no court in the land would convict <laughs> her of that, surely. Because surely she's got evidence, though. They'll have CCTV. Yeah. So the proof, though, that she said, leave me alone twice before her, right, I've had enough of you. Mm. So she's a brilliant character. I really do like Mira. So he's, he's done a brilliant job with it all. Um, Two-page splash yeah. of the tidal wave attacking Metropolis with the aircraft carrier come crashing in. Is gorgeous. Just the size of it as well. Yeah. Totally, totally believable. And then a, the full page splash, shirt rip. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. The S looks like it's glowing. It does. Yellow, yeah. It the, the the S transforms oh, yeah. the suit, doesn't it? Yeah. He doesn't I, for, actually, I forgot that was a thing. Yeah, he doesn't actually have the suit on under his clothes. The, the, the suit does he will the suit into being? I have no idea. Isn't it like Green Lantern? 
Was it a Jim Lee thing? I don't remember because I keep oh, meaning to... was it a to... Morrison thing? Bob Fisher keeps talking up Grant Morrison's Akron Comics run and I keep meaning to reread that because yeah. you've got it. But I can't remember because my memory of his of Grant Morrison's Action Comics run is for the most part he was just in Jeans and T-shirt. That was the first arc. Right. So I don't know. But yeah, it's the suit appears when he wills it into being or something because Wonder Woman just whips a lasso around her. To get the costume to spin change. around really, really fast. I wanted the spin, I'll be <laughs> honest with you, because I think that would have been cool. Mm. But are we a bit too serious how, for that nowadays? How do you show her spinning in a comic? Just spin her around. Okay. You can do that. Yeah. Spinning around. <laughs> She's Kylie. But yeah, I forgot yeah. The, the glowy thing. That the thing. glowing, the costume was a thing. Well, didn't that come about? Because where does it even come from? Does it I just get the S fused to him? I don't remember, honestly. Uh, now that I, now that you've brought that up, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> Yeah, but I think we thought it was a stupid idea when it happened. I think DC thought it was a stupid idea when they got rid of it. Do you not think it was more a case of Jeff Lee designed this costume with Jeff collars? Lee. Jeff Lee. Jim Lee designed this costume with collars and cuffs and then suddenly thought, wait a minute, how can he wear this under his suit? I can, I, I can get behind the collars and the cuffs. It's just the stupid extremists. Some of the collars looked okay. Yeah. I don't know that they looked okay on Superman. This is Superman extremists. Yeah. I mean, the collar looks okay on Aquaman. Yeah. I think it looks fine on Aquaman. But you know, I don't think it necessarily suits Superman. And most artists dropped all the the lines on the costumes. As I well. don't blame them, because there's no need for them. Other than Jim Lee. Other than Jim Lee being, hey, look, I can draw lots <laughs> of lines. You even know what that is, Jim? Because you only have to draw it once. Yeah. We have to draw it every issue, so we'll forget that. Great action scene. Mm. As we go into the the main issue, special effects technology in movies have moved on considerably and actually caught up to the comics, because Superman and Wonder Woman catching the aircraft carrier is undeniably awesome. Yeah. But we've seen um, S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarriers crash into the ocean at this point. Mm. So it is a case of, you know, movies have finally caught up. But it's Ivan Reese as an artist pulls off the, <laughs> the dynamicness and the, the size of it. Oh, yeah, it totally does. And character-wise, Jimmy notes that Lois is a bit jealous of Superman and Wonder Woman. Yeah. But remember, Lois and Superman aren't anything in this, are they? They're not. Which is a big point in Flash in Rebirth, isn't it? Right. Or have you not read them yet? I've still not read them. All right. Yet. Well, you'll need to read them for the show. Yes. Because we're going to cover a ton, a slew. I was I was in the mood to read them today, read but them I remember I had to read this instead. Oh yeah, but was this a chore though? <laughs> Near the end, yeah. Why? Um, Should we wait till we get them? Yeah, I, right. I enjoy it. I'm just not a bigger fan of it as you are. I love Throne of Throne of Atlantis for me. I mean, we'll get into the final thoughts was when before we actually... every opinion you had on the title changed. Pretty much. Mm. Yeah, this is where it became the Justice League. Right. This was a threat only the Justice League could stop. Now, I'm not saying Darkseid isn't, but the characterisation in that fell off. Yeah. Whereas in this, everyone felt right for this era of DC. Now, they may not have been my versions of the characters, mm. but for the New 52... It's found its footing. Yeah, this is where it was starting to gel. And as such, I, th- I I finished reading this when it first came out and thought, there's your Justice League movie. Yeah. But then they went and made an animated movie of it and I thought, all right, well, we're not going to get that as a Justice League movie then. Mm. Which is a shame because I think if they'd followed the Marvel paradigm and introduced Aquaman and Atlantis and all that stuff first yeah. and then had the invasion of the surface world, they could have done an idea though before Marvel got to do it. Because mm. you know that the minute Marvel get the rights back to the Fantastic Four, they're going to do Atlantis Attacks. Because right. that's the best Fantastic Four story that they could do mm. if they got the film rights back. But DC could have beat them to it here. 
Yeah. They really could. But they've But let's be honest, what it. we're saying about Aquaman being a joke, there's no way they would have had the first uh, Justice League movie be about Aquaman. Well, it's not really about Aquaman. It's about the Justice League coming together to stop a threat to the mainland. Aquaman's, yes, he's kind of the central character, but if you've had Aquaman in an, his own film already where they've set some of this up, I think people would have bought it. This is this is an Aquaman story, not a Justice League story. It's about him accepting... It's an Aquaman story with the Justice League in it. Yeah. All right. It's, it's about him accepting to be the king. It's about him finding a place to be. It is an unusual choice to have a story go into the Justice League comic and not be in Aquaman that is where the Aquaman book has been leading up to. Yeah. I thought that was a curious decision. But, you know, whatever. Um, nice first issue. Um, no padding or boring bits. No. I think it, think it was really absolutely fantastic. What did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Is that just what we're going to get for most it, of the issues? Yeah, pretty much, because that's all they are, isn't it? Yeah, it isn't something you can talk about separately. Mm. It is very much of a whole... And it is one of those instances where, I mean, you didn't say this to me because you weren't here when I was reading Aquaman. You went away for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But I think having read Aquaman and Justice League leading up to Throne of Atlantis made this better. Yes. I think reading Throne of Atlantis on his own, you would have been a bit, well, what are you saying? What's that? And why's that going on? But reading the titles as dovetails... Yeah. And then they're both coming together into this one story and then splitting off in the separate it's, ways again. It was similar to... Um... Swamp Thing and Iron Man yeah. did the exact same thing. Nightwing and Batman did that as well. Yeah, and it's it's actually pretty pretty damn good. Yeah, it's, it's just very this very well done. Benefited from being both Jeff Johns. Yeah, so it certainly benefited from having the same writer. Uh, part two moves over to Throne. Oh, uh, sorry, Aquaman issue fifteen. Nowhere does it say Throne of Atlantis Part Two on the cover. In fact, it doesn't have Throne of Atlantis Part anything anywhere, does it? No. Apart from prologue, epilogue, and conclusion. Mm. That's it. So that's that's a bit. You know, that could be a bit confusing for people. Trinity War had the part on, didn't it? Did it? I think it did. I think it had a banner across the top saying Trinity War Part 1. And because the Constantine issue says Trinity War interlude or something. Oh, have you read that? I've not got to Trinity War yet. I'm up to Trinity War. Right, I forgot that Constantine was in there. You can skip over it. Can I? It's truly awful. All right, well, we didn't like New 52. John Constantine becomes Captain Marvel. Shazam. That sounds like a brilliant idea. (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Paul Pelletier has taken over from Ivan Rice uh, on the art of Aquaman. Actually proves himself to be equal to the task, mm. I think. His first issue's a little bit shaky. Right. But as soon as we get to issue 16 of Aquaman, Pelletier nails it. Okay. And uh, he's very Alan Davis mm. in his artwork, but that's not a bad thing. Right. Because at least he's not just mimicking Ivan Rice, but the transition is relatively seamless. See, I thought that the Aquaman titles art-wise were... Boring really? compared to you not like Paul Pelletier? No. Oh, okay. It's it, right. it is quite next to Ivan Reese, it's quite boring. Is that not like comparing everybody to George Perez though? But, it's not really fur. But it's it's completely fur when it's the same story. Oh yeah, alright, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> alright, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, see well see I don't I I think Pelletier to Pelletier. Pelletier, I think he, he came out swinging. He missed one or two shots, mm. but by the time he settles into the boot properly, I think he's a, a good replacement for Ivan Reese. Well, I really liked him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he was a, a good artist on it, but it's like... It's uh, not Ivan Reese. Tom DeLonge is a really bad annoying singer next to Mark Coppers, but mm. on his own, he's fine. 
So I'm sure he was a good artist on Aquaman, but next to Ivan Reese in the same story. Right. So if Ivan Reese had drawn all of it, yeah, and then Pelletier took over, mm. you wouldn't have a problem with it. It's the art change between chapters. Yeah. All right. Okay. No, no, that's fair enough. That's a valid, valid kind of thing. Complaint. Um, art Tibbet and Carl Kiesel were the inkers uh, on this. I can't, for the life of me, tell difference in pages. To be honest with you, whereas normally you can spot Kiesel. Uh, the cover is the JLA splayed all over the landscape, leaving Aquaman alone against his half brother. It's all right, isn't it? Mm, it's Eddie Barrows. Oh, who, is that cover Eddie Barrows? Yeah, who did Nightwing? I've, I've not read a lot of New 52 Nightwing. We read the first stuff. Did we? Yeah. Because we've not read any Grayson. Because it was that. the other side of the Court of Owls. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, love the opening to this, where the Justice League and Aquaman are saving as many people as they can from the deluge. But it's Commissioner Gordon says, um, how many? Mm. And Batman replies with, as many as we could. And he said, no, how many didn't make it? Yeah. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, it was done because it was, it was humanising the Justice League without hammering you over the head. Yeah. But it also shows Gordon's focus. How mm. many didn't we save? Yeah. Which you could argue is a bit downbeat. But I think it shows Gordon's character that he cares about the people they didn't rescue. Mm. I, I thought that was a really good moment. I really did. And there's a lot of Aquaman backstory in this issue that Johns has only hinted at throughout the story so far. Yeah. Which I thought was good. Um, I liked as well that he structured the story that all took place in Aquaman mm. and not in Justice League. But like you said, the whole storyline is here to further Aquaman's story arc. And I, and I like the conversations between Aquaman and Batman, although I will give you that this page that doesn't have page numbers, so I'll hold it up to the camera. <laughs> um, Aquaman's face looks a bit off. Mm. I'll give you that. I, I liked Batman in this, because they bonded a bit. Yeah, and he's kind of reasonable. But then Batman kind of... He, he undermines him. Yeah. Because he's there's, Batman. There's, there's a bit of a betrayal with it, though. Like, mm. he, he bonds with Aquaman, but then he turns his back on him, and then the friends again later on. Yeah. And a, a nine-panel grid. Mm. There's a nine-panel grid in this comic. Yeah. Wow, absolutely fantastic. It's what's unusual about this though is, is Batman being the reasonable one and Superman being the hothead. Yeah, but that, was that New Fifty Two Superman? Was New Fifty Two Superman? Right. Do you not remember the first couple of issues of Justice League? Yeah, I referenced them earlier on. He was he was really up himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has cooled down, but that was. Right, so that was basically his character in this. Yeah. All right. Okay, fair enough. I've not read. Other than Morrison Superman, I think that's all I read in New 52 Superman, wasn't it? We read the George Perez, Nicholas Scott stuff. Was it good? We stopped reading it. Right, well, can't be that good. Do you then. remember any of it? No. That answers your question. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> all right, fair enough, yeah. Oh, and we read the Jeff Johns stuff, don't we? Jeff Johns and John Jr. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. That was a thing. That was, yeah, for about five minutes. <laughs> that was important. <laughs> now it's not. Um, there's some really interesting moments in this script as well. Oh, I'm wondering what the hell has Aquaman been up to if he's not been ruling the surface world? Yeah. So Arm's like, so you turned your back on your own people to go to the surface, but you've not been ruling them. Mm. And Kid Curry's like, well, <laughs> you know. It's kind of like Aquaman's left home and he's told his parents he's got a job as a lawyer, but he's actually <laughs> at art school. Yeah. <laughs> but I also liked as well that they had contingencies for Batman. <laughs> but not for the Flash. Yeah, it's like Batman would be a threat. Why was Flash written out of this? Flash was he's... busy in his own boot, wasn't he? Yeah, there is that. But they were all busy in their own books. But they were still in Justice League. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just one of those cases where it was just one character too many. 
Because, mm. like you said, Shazam's not in it either. No, he's not Shazam yet. But no. he's not Shazam yet. But yeah, it's. Hmm. It is odd that the Flash would not be in it, but Green Lantern's not in it either. He's left. Right. But he certainly, his power set would have been useful for this. So maybe, maybe that's why he did it. It's like getting rid of Hulk and Civil War. Yeah. Maybe that's. It. This is harder. If Green Lantern and the Flash aren't there, so let's take them off the table. Because mm. it does make sense. Green Lantern would be a, a real benefit in this story. And the Flash could just run around really fast. Mm. And... So not having two of your biggest hitters yeah. means that this is squarely on Batman's shoulders as team leader and Superman and Wonder Woman as the team powerhouses. Mm. And even though Superman and Wonder Woman don't have the power set that could have dealt with this as easily as Green Lantern and the Flash. Yeah. So because Green Lantern could just conjure up like a dam... Or something. Yeah. If yeah. he'd been there in time. Mm. But either way, yeah, you've taken away two of the biggest power hitters though in this particular situation. So I actually think it works that certainly until you pointed it out to me, I'd not noticed that they weren't part of the whole thing. Yeah. Even whilst knowing that they weren't there, do you know what I mean? Mm. So But yeah, I guess it would be a bit too many characters. Yeah. Because it's already a drama between Aquaman and Arm and then It's Cain and Abel. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. what it is. And uh, it works exceptionally well on that level. I do wonder if Dan DiDio hadn't been in charge, would have this all been an Aquaman? Probably, yeah. Because I think you're right, it probably would have made more sense, though. Mm. But you know. I did like how um, he's trying to deal with it as brothers and the Justice League show up. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're here to rescue... Like, we're, <laughs> we're here, here to, to rescue you. We're here to interrogate him, we've got to bring him in. But Aquaman's right, they can't just bring Orm in. He's not a criminal. No. He's a king. Yeah, and diplomatic immunity and... Well, not just diplomatic immunity, but it's like... I don't, no one treats a dictator mm. or, or or someone like that with that amount of power as a criminal. Mm. It's whether he's right or wrong, he's, he's treated as what he is. Mm. Whereas in this, you can't treat Orm as a criminal or mm. a supervillain. Yes, it is one of those things that Aquaman's trying to come to a diplomatic solution. And plus, Orm's not in the wrong. Atlantis no. was fired upon yeah. by... Atlantis was attacked. Yeah. So as far as Orm's concerned, he's fully justified in retaliating. Mm. And again, he's only got Arthur's word for it mm. that this that they didn't do it because he yeah. doesn't know that we didn't do it. Mm. So he is basically going to him saying, no, don't attack them. And he's saying, but they killed our people. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's another interesting it's, part of the it's, story. It's nuclear deterrence, but yeah. with water and spears. Yeah. Oh, this, the, <laughs> Jeff Johns is good as his subtext when he's not banging you over the head with his subtext. Yeah. So this was a very enjoyable story. Uh, part three goes back to Justice League, issue 16. Um, the cover, they're all poster covers, really. Aquaman's fighting the Justice League this time. And kicking the crap out of them. Because mm. <laughs> it's Aquaman's story. Is that an Ivan Rice cover? Yes. Right, okay. I thought it was. Aquaman's face is a bit off, isn't it? Mm. Is it just the angle? Could be. Alright, fair enough. Okay. Um, that our oceans are as unexplored as space, which is what Stephen Shin is talking about at the opening of this book, was the premise of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and Sequest DSV. Right. So it has precedence. I it am... is quite a terrifying thought, though. Yeah. That so much of the ocean is unexplored. Yeah. Hmm? And the planet is all ocean, pretty much. Yeah, 70%. Yeah. And so Arthur takes it upon himself to be ruler of 70% of planet Earth. 
Yeah. You can see why he didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty big responsibility. Mm. I mean, you think some of these bigger countries are hard to rule, but 70% of the <laughs> planet? Have, think in the sea, right? Yeah. It's one big thing, so it's not separate like countries are. Do they all have different languages and different accents? I don't know. Do, do they have a, a northern accent? Do you, do they have different languages, yeah? So it's like e bayek blub blub blub. I think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yes, I think you're exactly right in, in establishing that. Um, really good action. I mean, some of the some of the word balloons are badly placed as we start this. There's a lot of text on that opening page. There is, yeah. But it's, you know. Oh, yeah, there it is. 70% of our planet's covered in water. 95% of that has never been explored. Mm. That's actually pretty cool, isn't it? Mm. You can see why James Cameron's fascinated by it. <laughs> what does South Park say? James Cameron doesn't do anything but for James Cameron. Something like that. Something You're not like saying that. that episode? No. It's good. Okay. I like that one. I'll send that one. Uh, really good action in this, which John's is really, really good at, which is fortunate. Yeah. Because it's six issues of action. But the character moments that he slides, he studied at CBK and a James Cameron, it's the Terminator, isn't it? It mm. never lets up, but it doesn't forget to put some character in that. Yeah. It doesn't forget some characterization, which is really, really cool. Arthur's trying to do his best to mitigate the situation because he's trying to protect both the surface and Atlantis. Largely because he knows that all-out war with Atlantis is something that we can't win. Yeah, it's going to war with 70% of the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the problems when Atlantis attacks in both Marvel and DC. They clearly outclass us. Because mm. not only do they have to have a certain level of superior ability just because of where they live, so the skin has to be very, very tough yeah. to be able to withstand all that pressure. So bullets of regular guns aren't going to do any harm to them. Mm. So there's all of that. But the, they're obviously going to be much tougher than us because they have to swim everywhere. Yeah. So they're going to be very well exercised. Plus if they've got weaponry, which these guys have. And so then we have to think our way out of the problem. Mm. And you always have to get like Reed Richards talking Namor down, or, or, which is how this ends, isn't it? Yeah. With with Arthur talking him that, down. That splash page is so cool, but yeah. there's all those spaceships and all that in the background that are like cool as shit, but you never see them again yeah. after this splash well, page. Well, that's a, it's a two-page splash. I mean, what's that massive thing in the background, and then it never shows up again? Is it not a creature, or is it a spaceship? I don't know. I, I say a spaceship. How did they build it's all this stuff underwater? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know about space why, why dock. Is, why is that thing got fire coming out of That's, it when it's just come out of the water? Do they have dry dock? Is it fire? Is it light? I don't know. Where do they get electricity from? Maybe it's not electricity. Maybe it's their equivalent of electricity because if they had electricity underwater, that would be bad. That, yeah. <laughs> Citricity. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're smart enough to come up with all this, I'm sure they've come up with some way of illuminating. Yeah. Maybe oh. they've got fish that just light everywhere. I suppose, yeah. That would actually Like electric eels? Yeah. They just have electric eels in every single room in the house. <laughs> they come in and switch them on. <laughs> that would be brilliant. As you already pointed out, Johns does a brilliant job of having Orm be fully justified in what he's doing. Mm. So as far as he's concerned, nuclear attack on Atlantis at the beginning was unprovoked. Yes. And he just sees this as retaliation and protecting his people. And he's, he's not aware that it's an accident, and I doubt it would make any difference if he does now. Yes. Because his reasons for disliking us go beyond that attack. You know, he's, he's, he talks about what we've done to the oceans mm. and what we've done to the marine life. And he's fully justified in what he says. Yeah, but as a writer, it's never preacher. No, it's just there that this is his point of view. 
and you can either agree with it or not agree with it as you see fit. But personally, I got a Razal Gaul vibe, Ghoul, Gaul, whatever, from him. And on more than one occasion, I've been on Raz's side. Yeah. So you, you're kind of looking at this going, you know, <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing for us to get wiped out. <laughs> Just a, a virus with shoes. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Uh, and there's a couple of times we've mentioned as we've gone through this that um, we're having splash after splash. Uh, exhibit a Malord extremis but none of this is padded mm. at all i'll be honest it didn't bother me in the slightest in this it wasn't one of those cases where the aforementioned extremis where i went back and i counted how many pages before we got anything interesting happen yeah was it six something like that before we got even a, a word of dialogue um each panel if it's a splash page or a nine panel grid or whatever the hell is fully detailed and like here, we've got a number of pages where you've got a single page and then a double page splash. And it's all filled to the brim with stuff going on. Well, with, with most splash pages, you just look at them and you flick. Yeah. You're going through the book quicker. But here, you're slowing down to appreciate everything on it. Yeah. Because there's so much going on in it. Yeah, That's well, not absolutely that, but brilliant. Ivan Reese is a very good artist. Oh, he's fantastic. So you're appreciating the art on it mm. instead of just flicking through to the next speech balloon? Yeah, instead of just reading it, you're actually looking at it. And they're calling in the, the group B. They're calling yeah, in yeah. the B-listers. The reserves. Because like, it's like, what's Green Arrow going to do against an Atlantean attack? Well, there was the Green Arrow issue where he kept trying to impress them, wasn't there? Yes, which was a funny issue. Yeah. That was quite funny. Black Canary. I don't know. Black Canary can do a, a screechy thing, so that could come in handy. All right. <laughs> chapter three is actually called Friends and Enemies. It is the only chapter that has a subtitle. It is. Yeah. What's the point of that? <laughs> Again, it was come enemies. Yeah. Enemies come friends. <laughs> a good payoff in this issue as well. That Cyborg has to give up a lung. Yeah. To go and do what he's doing, and he, he was in earlier on in the issue. He wanted to keep that lung, which is he's good. he's been the kind of like what grounds him and makes the Justice League relatable. Yeah. In that he's, he's, he's human. Yeah but he's constantly being separated. Yes. I quite like Cyborg. I mean, I made that joke earlier on about your yeah. favourite members of the league plus Cyborg, but that's largely because I'm clinging to my get off my lawn <laughs> idea that Cyborg is a Teen Titan a fair, and not yeah, a Justice yeah. League. And I've never found Cyborg interesting. There is a, I think he was interesting in Teen Titans. He he's in he's Teen interesting Titans. in this. I'm just not interested in him. You mean you're not going to be queuing up to see the Cyborg movie I'm... that I doubt will ever happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, another thing about that title as well I've just chucked that comic out of the way how much sense does it make to have the title on the last page in a story that's written for the trade well they edit them out in do, they? The yeah. do they not include the titles at all is it just one seamless thing uh, no they keep I think they keep the issues in hmm. but they edit out the credits I think right okay see they could have edited out the titles of this because it's just called Throne of Atlantis apart from that chapter which has a subtitle yeah for no reason Editor asleep at the wheel, because he should have just said, let's not bother. <laughs> let's cut that. Uh, we go over to Aquaman 16 for chapter four. Aquaman is now fighting um, one of the trench, as are Superman and Wonder Woman and Cyborg. They're all losing, mm. apart from Aquaman. Yeah. Because this uh, is all about issue. showing how cool Aquaman is. <laughs> and it's, yeah, like you say, it's an Aquaman issue. Um, Volcor is really set up well in this. Even though he shows up... Just as the bombs go off. Yeah. It's like, hmm, look at this character we've never established before. No, no, no. If you read Aquaman, he is established. Right. Okay. So it's it's a bigger shock 
if you've been reading Aquaman as well. If you're only reading Thorn of Atlantis, yeah. then yes, you're like, there's only really one suspect for who this could have been. If you're reading Aquaman, there's the possibility that it's Black Manta. There's mm. the possibility that Orm has done this. Well, I quite like the bit where Orm kind of... Orm. He, he tells you the end of the story. Yeah. When Aquaman says, are you planning an attack? Nope. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not lying. We're not planning an attack. No, and he's, he, that's, that is the, uh, like setting up the end. <laughs> yeah. I like it when stories do that, though. I like yeah. it when, when you go back and rewatch a story and right the beginning, the beginning. They tell you the ending, yeah. but you didn't realise it the first time you watched it or read it. Mm. I love it when they do that, because I always think, that's really clever. Yeah. As opposed to Star Trek Into Darkness, where you're like, it's not calm. It's not calm. <laughs> it's not calm. Oh, it's calm. Oh, it's calm. Oh, bo- Bond. It's not Blofeld. <laughs> it's not Blofeld. Oh, it's Blofeld. Mm. Piss off. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I, I quite like the Volko development because, again, I've been reading Aquaman as well and it doesn't come out as, of nowhere as much if you're reading both of them. Right. Well, I didn't read Aquaman. No, no, no. That's fair enough. Um, for all of the action in the story and those lovely act, Hawkman kicking the crap out of people. Yeah. And uh, it's not in this. It's in Justice League of America. But after this finishes, this team of B-listers become their own team, don't yeah. they? Thanks to young and sexy Amanda Waller. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> I still hate the new 52 for that. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda Waller should not be young and sexy. But there's a brilliant... John Constantine. Well, there is that. Oh, John Constantine's sexy. We we all suffered a great loss. We did, yeah. But there's that bit where they're all sat at the table and Aquaman comes in and Vibe says, are you okay? And Mm. Hawkman's like, yeah, fine, why? Hawkman comes in. You said Aquaman. Sorry, yeah, Hawkman comes in and... Doesn't he slam his helmet down? Yeah, and then he's covered in blood. And he says, you're covered in blood. And (laughs) Hawkman says, oh, it's all right, it's not mine. Yeah. (laughs) was cool mm. that was absent vibe moves away <laughs> from him <laughs> that was genuinely who says jeff johns can't do funny because mm-hmm. that was genuinely fun um but Volko and dr shin I, I thought they were really quite well characterized both men seemingly wanting the same thing which is to protect arthur kid curry but they both got different ways of going about it yeah because well, they both got their own agendas yeah and shin wanted to prove that atlantis existed and now he's got what he wanted and regrets everything yeah, he did. and realizes that you know having something isn't so pleasing a thing after all was wanting it yeah it isn't logical but it's often true <laughs> as we've learned and I've, i loved this they're all cocooned mm. they're all dropped into is it the marianas trench because they're very, very, very low down here. They're yeah. very far underneath. I mean, does he say somewhere they're, what, six miles under the water or something? He says something mm. about that somewhere. Of course, it's Batman who has a plan for getting out of this. I just like how <laughs> he, he's like, yep, I can do it, I can get out. And Batman's like, dude, stop, you'll kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the overachiever, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I know my suit will cover that and I've got... I've got something in my utility belt. It's Lego Batman <laughs> in the Lego movie is the greatest, most accurate Version. representation yeah. of him. Because <laughs> that's what he is. He's trapped six miles underneath the ocean. Yeah. And he's like, I can get out of this, Aquaman. <laughs> Just give me a minute. And Aquaman's like, stop being a buffoon. Yeah. That was genius. He's cooler than he is smart. <laughs> yes. But there's the thing, though. I actually think Batman could have gotten out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's Batman. His, his costume would protect him from the, yeah, uh, his costume. the pressure. Yeah, they're like, what? What? How does that even work? I, I, I planned for this occasion. Because <laughs> of course he did. 
I had airbags implanted into my boots. <laughs> and I've got some shirt repellent back spray, so it's all going to be fine. Trench repellent back spray. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, absolutely. Batman. That's that bit was brilliant. Yeah, where Aquaman's been the voice of reason. The <laughs> Bruce. Okay, I know you've probably got this. <laughs> Just let me handle it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh dear me. Also, again, we've talked about there's a double page splash there with no dialogue on it. Doesn't bother me in the slightest. There's a bit of dialogue. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean. But because that's because Johns is just doling out the important plot beats at incredible speed. Mm. Now, probably reading this as single issues would probably be infuriating, as we've discussed before, but they're not written for that anymore, so let's move on. But reading it as a whole, this just rattles along. Yeah. It's a really good action comic book, mm. isn't it? Yeah, well, Justice League is when it's at its A-game. At its peak. Mm. So what else is its A-game other than this? What have I got to look forward to? Uh, I think the rest of it. Right. Uh, the Dark Side War, the first part, because it's split, it's two parts with an interlude, so three, I guess. Right. So the first part is really, really good. Right. Second part's disappointing. Right. Okay. And Dark Side War? That is Dark Side War. Right. So I thought it was a Trinity War. Uh, Trinity War's alright. Right. So everything's got war in it. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first story out for this is called War when it's adapted to a, um, a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay. Mm. Right, so okay. it's, it's it's the uh, the Justice League, World War One, World War Two. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I love Cyborg and Aquaman are essentially tackling the same problem: who launched the missiles? Yeah, but they're doing it from different angles. And Hawkman is is very cool in this issue. <laughs> He's absolutely fantastic. I really like this Hawkman. Mm. And then you've got the the twist ending where Volko betrays him with the the, spe- the yeah. scepter that just appears out of nowhere. Yeah, where did he keep that? It, it just grows, doesn't it? it just right, yeah. Does, is this like Superman's costume? Yeah, look, he, he's, he just, it comes out of his hand. So does it come out of the blood? I don't know. Oh, no, because that's not his blood, is it? No. That's it's... Shin's blood. Because he's just broke his nose. Well, yeah, so he just grows it out of his hand. How does that work then, Ted? I don't know. Yeah. All right, fair enough. He just checks around and then it, it goes off in his yeah. hand. Yeah, but Volko's betrayal is obvious in retrospect. And like I say, when you're only reading this, but yeah. I thought it was okay. The final chapter moves over to Justice League issue 17, which is pretty much an all-action issue. And what magnificent action. Mm. Atlantis versus the Surface World, a thinly-veiled remake of Fantastic Four Annual Number 1. Right. Right down to the ending, where we okay. just kind of talk him out of it. But handled with great style and panache. The, the Justice League reserves were really interesting as well. Yeah. Because they've never met the before. The Justice League reserves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've never met before. They've nope. never worked together. So they're all good on their own, but they, they get in each other's way. Yeah. And that was really interesting. Because they're not a team yet. Yeah. They've not actually got together as a team. And then when they bring out the big guns, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Cyborg, Aquaman, Mira, who should be a member of the Justice League, I think, mm. at this point, this, this, these action sequences are just magnificent. Yeah. But it is one of those things, in, in film, wouldn't this be CG overload? Mm. And therefore not have the weight of this. Yeah. Whereas, ironically, it comes across as a lot more realistic in a comic book yeah. than it does at the minute in film. Even with CGI and that, films will never be comics. They can't quite... You said before that films have caught up. Mm. They've te- caught up with technically, Technology-wise, yeah. but yeah. they can never pull off what comics can. 
No, because, I mean, they may get to that point, but the, the end battle... Ever will. Comics are special because only comics can do what they do. Mm. Films, yeah. it's like there has never been a superhero movie that pulls off the dynamicness and action and scope of comics. Not even the end of the Avengers? No. Okay. Because films can't do what comics do. All right. Yeah, I think this is undeniably brilliant, but in in film, like you said, they could do all of this, Mm. but it would have that kind of weightless, slightly fake vibe to it. Yeah. Like in Batman vs Superman, where Batman scurries across the roof. Mm. And you're like, that that roof doesn't look like it would support (laughs) a fly, let alone a seven foot, 300 pound bloke. You know what? And this is kind of sad now that I'm saying it out loud, Mm. but I once sat through a video where you know where he he grapples up in the warehouse to save Martha and there's that big fight scene. I've actually seen an analysis of that, of everything that makes that fight scene implausible. Can I watch it? Sure. Because Batman's (laughs) the most realistic hero there is. Yeah, he's not. As evinced by Batman Rebirth number one. He's not a superhero. No. What makes Batman really cool is that he's a normal guy Mm. and he's the same. And everything he does. He has the same like power load as as humans. It's totally believable. Yeah. Yeah. Not a superhero. No. I mean. Can't wait for you to read (laughs) Batman Rebirth number one. (laughs) <laughs> the single most fun comic I have read in ages. Okay. Absolutely blinded. That's all I'm going to say to you is this. What if the Superman return sequence with the plane crash had right. Batman in it? Okay. And not Superman. Right. That's what that issue is. And it's fantastic. <laughs> but that's a tease for the rebirth issue that we'll, we'll do, episode that we'll do next time. This, as the fight between Orm and Aquaman, though, is just loaded with character moments mm. like Aquaman's a real king he's got the weight of two worlds on his shoulders yeah and he doesn't want the power he doesn't mm. want to be king it's like the man who would be king he doesn't want to be the king yeah and then the flip side of that is you have Orm who does want who, it who's his brother and everything he has done as ruler of Atlantis is for Atlantis Arthur mm. oh yeah, yeah yeah sorry not Atlantis yeah, it's just great, isn't it? I'm just sat here just reading the comic <laughs> instead of actually talking about it. Because, yeah, because the last person you want to have power is the person who wants, wants power, power yeah. which is the whole problem with our democratic process. <laughs> yeah. you, ideally, you don't want to give power to somebody who wants power. You should be electing in the people who don't want to vote. Yeah, <laughs> but that would end badly, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And, you know, we've mentioned the Cain and Abel-style relationship as we've gone through. But Johns does a really good job with Arthur about how he feels about having to fight his brother. And he never paints Orm as the bad guy. Mm. Which is always the best kind of bad guy. Yeah. Orm thinks he's right. Because ultimately he's not a bad guy who doesn't think he's not bad. He's not a bad guy at all. No, he's not wrong. We're reading this from the point of view of of, of the Justice League. So he's the bad guy. Yeah. But from his perspective, he's not. He's done nothing wrong. No, well, this is like your mum and I have talked about this in The Walking Dead when Negan shows up. Right. And he's killed somebody at the end of the season finale. We don't know who that is yet. Yeah. But we have talked about, we'll turn that around. If Negan was the star of the show and we've yeah. been watching Negan for six years, suddenly Rick's shown up and started killing his people. Mm. And suddenly you've got a really interesting bad guy there. Well, the, what's funny with The Walking Dead is it follows the formula of Rick showing up. Mm. Finding people, getting them all killed. Yeah. Rick is responsible for that little village yeah. being destroyed. Yeah, he's responsible for so many deaths. Yeah. For his needs. Well, because you follow people. him. Yeah. Because he's the hero of the story, you're on his side. Yeah. But flip that around. Mm. So, and that's, like, it's the same with this. Orm is not the bad guy. 
And the arts. Oh, the arts just brilliant. Mm. I love that. And when he punched his helmet and yeah, it shatters and it off shatters and then off. suddenly he's not the Ocean Master, he's just his brother. Well, he's never symbolism. called the Ocean Master, is he? Well, oh, no, symbol, you, you like your symbolism. Sudden, though, well, you? suddenly he punches the helmet off and he's not the bad guy anymore. He's Aquaman's brother. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jeff Johns has done this before, made the bad guy sympathetic. He's done it a lot with, like, General Zod. Yeah. And who else did he do it with? I, Apparently he did it with somebody else. Was it Lex Luthor? He made Lex Luthor very sympathetic. Yeah. And see, in those cases, I kind of think, you know, General Zod should be the bad guy. Well, I like he's Lex Luthor because he, he's still Lex Luthor despite being a good guy. <laughs> Which is always good. Mm. But yeah, but he, uh, it works because this is Arthur's brother and the story that he's telling is Cain and Abel. Yeah. Now, I would imagine from this well, point... that is a cool splash page. It is a brilliant well. splash page, yeah. I am your king with the lightning coming off the whatever, the trident. I would imagine he's going to become a bad guy because of this, do you think? Mm. Now yeah. that he's in Belle Reve. Oh, right. I mean, I don't know where that goes. I, I don't know where it goes either. It Let's doesn't see. go anywhere, does it? He's still in Belle Reve as of Aquaman 25. Well, that's where it ended, isn't it? Because isn't that going to be Rise of the Seven Kingdoms? Right, He's okay. probably going to be involved with that. So maybe they've just left him in Belle Reve. Well, there's Black Manta in it again. Black Manta... Oh, I can't remember. I don't think he's in they Aquaman set 325. It, they set him up in the prologue, so is that for the Seven Kingdoms or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, he's in the prologue for War of the Seven Kingdoms. But mm. I think that I can't remember. This page, did it not seem a bit off to you? Uh, has it, the, have, have we got War of the Incas? The big, well, the big spread looks... The right, big. here's why. Ivan Rice and Paul Pelletier both worked on it. Because... The, the splash bit at the top looks like it's flat colours, mm. and then the panels at the bottom look like there were pencils coloured on. It becomes Paul Pelletier on page 26. Yeah. Which is the. Is the. Yeah. All right, yeah, so. Just, it's, see, the colours here look a bit flat, yeah. and then these look like colours on pencils. Well, maybe they see are. What I, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. It is. It looks a little bit rougher but than some of the is, other stuff. This does. is the back. Of the last issue, so I suppose. If he's drawing it sequentially. Mm. Let's have a look at what they are. Yeah, Pelo Patelio drew page 27 through 29. Joe Prado, Oakler, Albert and Sean Parsons were the Incas. And Rod Rice and Nathan Earing did the colours. So maybe you're right. Maybe they, they were struggling with the dreaded deadline doom and they just went straight to colours mm. in some places. Because if Rice's pencils are detailed enough to pull it off, yeah, you probably can get away with it on two pages. But yeah, you're right, that page does look a little bit rougher than maybe some of the others does. This was great, wasn't it? Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Throne of Atlantis, two thumbs up. Yeah. Very energetic and exciting series of issues, building off what's gone before, setting up both Aquaman and Justice League off in new directions. Cain and Abel plot mixed with Shakespearean tragedy and breathtaking action. It's a dizzying and fast-paced read, but not in a negative way. As you've said, it's definitely an Aquaman story. Mm. Let's be honest, only Cyborg and Batman really play a part in the story itself. Superman yeah. and Wonder Woman are those just punch things. Mm. Which they do very well. Let's not turn that away from it. To carry on the subplot of being together. Yeah. But uh, they don't hold hands or anything. No. They just kind of go on a bit of a date. <laughs> where he shows her how to wear glasses. Mm. Well, this was good. after the, the infamous kiss. Was it? Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was issue six. It was eight, a six. seven, eight, nine. Nine. It was a Jim Lee one, wasn't it? It was a Jim Lee cover anyway. Yeah. 
So, so it's an early, early dose. All right. Again, I mean, we could say that you know, again, this is John's not living in the moment. We don't get to sit back and take a breather before they kick off into the next storyline, mm. which you know is just a Jeff Johns thing. But this is good. It's mm. really good. I mean, there are no endings anymore. It's just set up for the next well, thing. The next few issues are a bit of a breather. Yes, they are because they don't have Ivan Rice on art either. Do they? It's all about Cyborg and the Grid, and yeah. that lead into Forever Evil. Yeah, the next big thing. It's introducing the reserves, yeah. which will go into and that goes into Justice JLA. League America, yeah. which is quite a good book apart from David Finch's overly inked artwork. Well, he drops it. Does he? Yeah. Good. Um, it's just too black. Yeah, the thing with JLA is it feels like the Justice League Suicide Squad. Yeah, and it's just very heavily inked. Uh, is uh, the not bad guys, but they're not good guys. No, well, cat, well, my, the, the they're anti-heroes. Aren't yeah, they? and then there's that awful Catwoman bit, where Catwoman walks in and it's New Fifty Two Catwoman, so she's unzipped yeah. all the way down to her belly button, mm. and she says, "My face is up here," and I just wanted Vibe to just say, "Well, fasten yourself up, then." Yeah. Don't walk around with them hanging out <laughs> and not expect people to look at them. Mm. Zip them up. But anyway, you know, that's a separate That's not thing. Catwoman, that's who designed the costume. Yeah, who designed the costume? I don't know. Is that Jim Lee? I don't know. Because the costume's fine if she zips it up. Well, um, Darwin Cook. Dar- yeah, Darwin Cook drew incredibly it, it, it sexy is, Catwoman. It is the Darwin Cook costume, isn't it? Yeah, but Just, unzipped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Darwin Cook did subtle. Yeah. And Edward Finch, not so much. Mm-hmm. Or whoever was, was drawing Catwoman at that point. Uh, there was a Throne of Atlantis epilogue in Aquaman 17, but it's largely just to set up Return of the King, uh, yeah. which is the next Aquaman arc. And it was good. Yeah. You know, it rounds the story but it's, off. But it's not an epilogue. It's the prologue to Yeah, the it's the prologue story. to Return of the King. So I, I read this and I was a bit bored. I wasn't bored, because then I carried on reading Aquaman. Right, yeah. But yeah, it's... it's well... I think kind of an epilogue, kind of a prologue. Mm. I think if you just read it as the part of the next story, but yeah. reading it as Throne of Atlantis, it doesn't really work. Well, that, they don't want you to stop, do they? I suppose they just want you to but carry on. If you've read up to Throne of Atlantis and then read through it, you're not gonna stop, are you? Yeah. And it didn't stay on for much longer, did it? John's. Yeah. Uh, that was issue seventeen. He finishes with issue twenty-five. So not that long. Though. So and Return of the King, I think, is about seven issues. It's just under a year then. And then oh no, there's one issue in there that's a fill-in. By it's not written by Jeff Johns and it's not drawn by right. Pelletier. Hmm. It's a prelude to something else. So you could probably skip that. So technically, he did twenty-four backdoor issues. Backdoor pilot, man. Yeah, backdoor pilot. So he did twenty-four issues. Plus the zero issue. Plus the zero issue. Did he write that? Hmm. Right. Okay. So yeah, he did twenty-five issues then. Right. I wonder if that issue's in the trade. I think John Ostrander wrote it. I don't remember who drew it. Right. But I remember reading it and thinking, oh, no, it's set up for Aquaman and the Others. That's oh, what it is. But, yeah, these spin-off titles. Yeah, it's a set up for Aquaman and the Others. And it's right in the middle of Return of the King and you're like... Right. Okay. All right, well, that wraps it up for this one. Mm-hmm. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we will be looking at a plethora. 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 I don't think that word means what you think it means. A plethora. A plethora. Plethora. A plethora. Of rebirth books. So mm. we're doing all DC all the time at the minute. Aren't we? Are we doing all of them? Or? We're doing what I've bought. <laughs> yeah. Which, as of this reading, is Superman, Batman, Action Comics, Detective Comics, The Flash, Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Yeah, bro, I bought it digitally. Oh, of course. Hellblazer, Justice League. Is it Hellblazer or is it John Constantine? Hellblazer? It's the Hellblazer. Oh, okay, right. 
So I'll give it. I'll give it a read. Well, you will because we're covering it on a show. Okay. Yes, Dad. Um. So we may we may have one or two others as well. I, we're definitely going to cover Batman number one. Okay. <laughs> are we doing the rebirth one-offs or are we doing the first issues? We're doing the rebirth one-offs apart from Batman number one. Okay. Because <laughs> we're we're doing, so we're doing Batman Rebirth and Rebirth Batman. Oh yeah. Okay. And we're doing action comics and. I've started comics. to notice. I was a bit confused as to which one were the one shots, but I've noticed that if it's the main series, the rebirth is above the title. Mm. And if it's the one-off, then the rebirth is below the title. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. They're all around here somewhere. Anyway. So that's next time. Not next week, because we don't do that anymore. Thank you for joining us for Throne of Atlantis. And we'll see you next time. Email in. Say goodnight, Gracer. Good night, Gracer. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find book for Idle Hands to do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. If you wish to buy stuff from Amazon, why not do it through the twotruefreaks.com link, which leaves a couple of pennies in our tip jar. The music used in Hey Kids Comics is used to underscore the synopsis so they're not quite as boring as you just listening to me talk. Michael and Andrew can be reached through Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Why not join us so we can talk about funny books together? Correspondence to the show generally can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. Massive introduction. Yeah. This is quite a big one, this. I think I've gone too far here. See, if it was a video, it'd just be me sat bored. Yeah. Well, you could, you could go off and do something else. I can't else, play yeah. with anything, though. No, you can't. You're can't. not allowed to. Ready? Hmm. That's the epilogue, dude. You've got it back to front. <sighs> Did you go asking me stupid upside down order? No, I don't. I have the first issue first. No, I have the first issue first, whereas you have them upside down with it like that. <sighs> So that's why it was in that order. <laughs> you get proper upset when I'm FDR and you I get very up. irate <laughs> when you criticise my orders. Because <laughs> you do it backwards. You do it backwards to me. You do it backwards and upside down? That's even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading New 52 Justice League. Lovely listener, this will be an outtake. And Michael's got them all in story order. It croft, once it starts crossing over with Aquaman, Throne of Atlantis comes in, and then when it starts crossing over with Justice League, Justice League's in there, and then Justice League Dark is in there. So basically, you store your comics in story order. I do. So how would you ever find Justice League Dark issue 7? I keep Justice League Dark separate, but if it's crossed over into a title, <laughs> then it's in another title. Okay. It does make sense. It does. Because in trade, that's how it's presented. Mm. So. But it's really weird to go, oh, Justice League Aquaman? <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to stop here and read all of Aquaman right. to get up to this point, mm. which is what I did. Yeah. Which is why I'm now only up to Trinity War. Well, you'd have been complaining if I hadn't have kept it in the. That's true. That's true. It would be kind of like reading a comic, but information's missing, and then you have to. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs>